We affirm the propriety of using inerrancy as a theological term with reference to the complete truthfulness of Scripture. We deny that it is proper to evaluate Scripture according to standards of truth and error that are alien to its usage or purpose. We further deny that inerrancy is negated by biblical phenomena such as a lack of modern technical precision, irregularities of grammar or spelling, observational descriptions of nature, the reporting of falsehoods, the use of hyperbole and round numbers, the topical arrangement of material, Variant selections of material in parallel accounts or the use of free citations. That was a mouthful. Welcome to the. How, to, I always said my church's name. I'm, I got, I'm not drinking enough these days, I think. <laughs> this, this is the Faith Debate on News Radio 930 WFMD. I'm Troy Skinner, pastor of Household of Faith in Christ, which is what I almost said a second ago. Uh, you can find our church online and all my contact information online at householdoffaithinchrist.com. Of course, you can listen to this show every week on the uh, AM at 9.30 AM. You could also listen on the FM on the HD2 channel of 99.9. And um, until they finally collapse this beast known as the Internet, you can hear us on the World Wide Web at WFMD.com. The panel this week, picking up with the uh, where we left off last week on the show with the Chicago Statement on Inerrancy, uh, is Daniel Razvi. Imran Razvi and David Forsey. All three of them are pastors uh, in the area. Uh, the Razvis have a church up in the Thurmont area. I say up. I got to stop saying up because I don't know where you are. Up, geographically speaking, assuming north is up from where I am right now, but I don't know where you are right now. So I apologize for that. Anyway, you can find out more about them on their website, um, conqueredbylove.org. David Forsey doesn't have a website, so if you want to get in touch with him, just get in touch with me and I'll put you in touch uh, with him and his church's. Uh, uh, the south end of Frederick County and Washington counties, and sometimes West Virginia, we found out last week. So <laughs> what I started the show off was Article 8 of the Chicago Statement. Um, and we touched upon some of these things overlap just a little bit. Some of the articles are offering more clarity or more specificity. Uh, on, that's a fun word to say, specificity. Uh, it's almost as fun as hyperbole. <laughs> <laughs> Hyperbole, yep. for the educated among us. Um, a quick story, by the way, for what it's worth. There was a guy I used to work with years ago, and he was, you know, he might have been from West Virginia or something. He had this, this very thick kind of countrified accent, you know, he's that kind of guy, you know, very homespun, earthy kind of guy. And we had a Christmas party uh, at the place I worked way back when, and they wanted to make it a really, you know, fancy kind of Affairs, so they encouraged women to wear their fanciest evening gowns and men to, they owned a tux to wear it, and if not, to wear their best suit and their best tie, that kind of thing. And it was a really nice uh, uh, gala, a really cool event. And the invitations went out, and, and uh, the guy, he was so excited. He'd never been invited to anything like this before. And he's showing off this, you know, I, look what I got. I got my here, this invitation, this party, and they got this, and they got that, and everybody's going wearing their finest clothes, they dressed to the T's, to the nines, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And look at it. They're going to have there some, uh, some horse doovers. I don't know what that is, but I'm going to get me some. <laughs> <laughs> At least, uh, at least, at least he knew phonics. <laughs> so, uh, horse doovers. In case you're wondering, what is horse doovers? Hors d'oeuvres. But if yeah, if you see it written down, it, it's like, how do you say that word? What is that? It must right. be a foreign language or something. Oh, what do you know? <laughs> it is. So, uh, and the Bible can feel like a foreign language to us sometimes. And maybe we're not exactly sure what it is, but we're going to get us some. 
So let's get us some <laughs> let's get us some Bible here. Um, what what's being said there in Article Eight that you guys would want to pick up on and talk about? Well, that's this kind of explains why different books of the Bible don't feel like they're necessarily written by the same person sometimes because they have a different style of writing or different personality is is showing forth. That doesn't mean that God didn't write it. it just means he used chose to use different people in their own gifts, whatever uh, their strengths were. Yeah, I think it's accurate to say God wrote it, but let's say you're talking about the book of Romans. I think it's also accurate to say Paul wrote it. Right? Both are true. It's, it's kind Paul of a, did not decide what to write. God decided what to write, and he told Paul, and Paul wrote it down. Well, he didn't say. I mean, God didn't dictate to him. Right? He didn't sit down in the corner and say, hey, Paul, write these words down for me. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, that's what Articles 7 last time was saying. We don't know. The mode of divine inspiration remains largely a mystery to us. So we don't know exactly how that went about. We know in many cases it does say God said write this. A lot of the Old Testament prophets said specifically. Oh, yeah, God I think, yeah, there are, yeah, and there are times when the, when the scriptures themselves explicitly say God gave a particular message and said go say this. So, yeah, I would agree with that. Um, but I'm not sure that I would be comfortable going so far as to say that God was told Paul, okay, now write this down, Paul. Now see how I write with such large letters in my own hand. I don't know that, you know what I mean? I feel that's an instance, an indication that it's Paul and his personality. Uh, I, I think it's both and. I don't think it's, I, 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 don't, um, I don't think it diminishes the reality that it's God's word because he chose to perfectly use imperfect vessels allowing them to have their own personalities and their own brainwaves involved in the process. I don't, I don't, sure. th- I don't think that, that, uh, that one has to cancel the other. You're looking very pensive over there, David. you have anything you wanted to add? Or? Uh, no, I was just going to say, right, it'd be like, a, like an artist using different brushes, different colors, right? Different pens, different strokes, right? It's, it, but working through the medium right we are a medium through which god expresses himself right through that god uses right uh and so so we we are still that medium yeah oh absolutely yeah and i agree yeah. with that yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, but I'm affirming what you're saying yeah. i think I mean, there's a little bit of a difference in that analogy though in that the brush has no free agency right whereas humans doesn't doesn't have a brain either all right that's what i mean <laughs> Yeah, anyway, <laughs> anyway, sometimes someone would wonder whether I do. So maybe I'm more like with those paintbrushes <laughs> than I like to admit. I think I think part of what Article Eight uh, here is saying, uh, so right, like things like reporting a falsehood. So just because uh, the Bible records a lie that somebody told, doesn't mean that the Bible is lying, right? And uh, like use of hyperbole, right? It it means that uh, it's also saying, all right, there are different types of literature. There's, there's poetry, right? There's, there are figures of speech that are being used. Yeah, idioms that, that right. create quite the challenge for the translators. And so, it, yeah. uh, so, so they're almost saying here, right, that, uh, that the Bible is not always to be taken literally, right, unless it, is, it wants you to take it literally, and that's something that if we yeah, get that into hermeneutics... sounds like a cop-out, but it's not. It, it, right. If we get into hermeneutics at some point, right. right. And we almost have to, to, to define 
literally, because what what is the literal sense is right. something that's debated like crazy. And I would argue that the entire Bible should be taken literally, but then we have to be careful about how we're defining literal. <laughs> Literal meaning taking it literarily. So you take it within context. Right. No word has meaning outside of its usage. So how is the word used in context that tells you what it means? And that is taking it literally. That's like the, the like a precise kind of technical way of thinking about literalism. And I would agree that that's how we should take the Bible. That's actually the task of the, of the person who's doing the hermeneutics, who's doing the interpretation, the expositor of Scripture, to use some fancy theological words all in a row here on the faith debate. Um, uh, that's part of what has to happen there. Anyway, in the interest of time, let's do uh, 9 and 10 together. Or uh, 9 and... Uh, am I on the wrong page? I'm looking at the wrong page. Here we go. Not... Debrief. How did I... Did I do something wrong? What did, what did I do? I think I did them out of order for a second. Did I do 8? Yeah, you did 8. Or did I do 13? You, you did 8. eight. Uh, what page am I? Should I, I read on? nine for you? We affirm. I think I read eight and then part of thirteen. That might have been why you guys were looking at me funny. You guys are looking at me. Yeah, funny. That's all right. We can go on to nine because we'll eight was we affirmed God and His work of inspiration utilize the distinctive personalities, right? Hmm? Did I say those words? All right, let me do nine and ten. Nope. Do nine and ten. All right, you, my, you my, did eight when you said eight, so we're good. My New Year's resolution is definitely going to have to pick back up. I promised myself I was going to drink more. And, uh, so 9 and 10. We affirm that inspiration, though not conferring omniscience, guaranteed true and trustworthy utterance on all matters of which the biblical authors were moved to speak and write. We deny that the finitude or fallenness of these writers by necessity or otherwise introduced distortion or falsehood into God's word. Article 10 looks lengthy, so let's stop. That seems a repeat, a redundant uh, from a, what we've just read, 7 and 8. Are you pointing out an error in the statement on inerrancy? What are you saying? <laughs> no, <laughs> not an error. Just, not an error. It's just, it's, it's just a repeat. That well, we can move on then. Yep. All right, so 10 is longer. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's uh, two or three sentences per piece. They got the affirmations and denials. So the affirmations, we affirm that inspiration, strictly speaking, applies only to the autographic text of Scripture, we'll define that in a minute, which is the providence of God, which in the providence of God can be ascertained from available manuscripts with great accuracy. We affirm further that copies and translations of Scripture are the word of God to the extent that they faithfully represent the original. We deny that any essential element of the Christian faith is affected by the absence of the autographs. We further deny that this absence renders the assertion of biblical inerrancy invalid or irrelevant. This is a big one because you'll hear, I hear this on occasion. This is one that I've actually been confronted with, you guys probably too. How can you say it's the word of God? We don't even have the originals. The autographs are the original text. Like, so you go to get somebody's autograph, that's they used a pen or whatever to write on that paper themselves an original signature, it's their autograph. So we're talking about the original writings. Those have probably, I mean, they're lost to us. I'm assuming they're lost to us because they degraded and disintegrated over time into dust. They, they, we do, I don't think we have access to them. It's not like somebody misplaced them. We lost them. I think they're lost to us because they just, they don't exist. They degraded back into dust. So how can we know we have the Bible? This gets into textual transmission questions and all that sort of mm -hmm. stuff. But, they're, they're, but 
without getting into all that, they're saying you don't need that. We have enough to know what that was. Right. I agree with that. I think you yes. guys agree with that. How do we try to maybe persuade somebody or what, what do we say to somebody who says, yeah, you can't know that for sure. And I'm just not buying well, this it. This kind of comes back to what Ryan said last week. You can see a lot of proofs for scripture. Vody Bakum has a really good talk on this. If, if you're listening and you want to Google uh, uh, or go on YouTube and type in why I believe the Bible by Vody Bakum, it's like half an hour. He's given the talk several times. It's a very well done explanation of why uh, and, and what are all the reasons for, you know, it's a reliable question, collection of historical documents written down by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses, which reported supernatural events that uh, took place in fulfillment of specific prophecy and claimed that their writings were divine rather than human in origin. That's his statement. And then he spends half an hour explaining each word in that statement so you understand why he's saying that. We don't need to go into that now because he's done a very good job of that. So Google that. But that's kind of what they're saying here is you can tell uh, we know that scripture is true because everything in it can be tested independently and verified and what what we do have remaining of the original manuscripts or as close as we can get to the originals does not change or alter what the church believes in any of these things it's it's all there it's saying all the essential elements of the christian faith are there anytime we find a newer and older manuscript uh, or, well, new, newly found, more old manuscript, somehow, like the Dead Sea Scrolls, they always back up what we already believed the Bible said. So we've, it's never been the other way around. And I sometimes wonder if, I mean, I couldn't prove this scripturally, so it's just my opinion for what it's worth, but I sometimes wonder if God did us a favor by superintending things in such a way that we don't have access to the autographs, because wouldn't our propensity be to worship those parchments? Wouldn't that be our instinct? Like, ooh, we're going to bow down. This is the word of God, after all. And we start to worship in a, as though the paper itself is, is deity. I think yep. that that would probably be the case. Well, we saw that, saw that for, well, still see that. It's been going on for millennia in uh, certain church traditions. I mean, even, even uh, now there are certain sects in, within Christianity. I mean, they'll have a Bible. You've heard about the, the bleeding Bible or the, or the, the oil Bible, you heard about that one, where there's this Bible that supposedly keeps leaking oil and oh, really? they fill buckets with it, and this church has made it their whole doctrine where they take the Bible around and they fill buckets of oil from this Bible that miraculously drips everywhere. And, I have to say, I'm not familiar with that. This, this Bible. Um, we could probably use some of that right now with the Ukraine war going on. <laughs> 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 Just <Very> saying. <laughs> All right, I'm going to do 11 and 12 together because 11's pretty short and 12's not that long. Uh, we affirm that Scripture, having been given by divine inspiration, is infallible, so that, far from misleading us, it is true and reliable in all the matters it addresses. We deny that it is possible for the Bible to be at the same time infallible and errant in its assertions. Infallibility and inerrancy may be distinguished but not separated. We affirm that Scripture in its entirety, this is number 12 now, is inerrant, being free from all falsehood, fraud, or deceit. We deny that biblical infallibility and inerrancy are limited to spiritual, religious, or redemptive themes exclusive of assertions in the fields of history uh, and science. We further deny that scientific hypotheses about Earth history may properly be used to overturn the teaching of Scripture or creation and the flood. This is exactly what I was talking about last week, where I said that you cannot have a quote-unquote modern scientific view of creation or the age of the earth and believe in the inerrancy of scripture. 
you would be wrong at that point. Yeah. Well, as we talked about last week, I don't, I don't think I'd agree, agree with going quite that far. I, so, I think you, that, so you would not agree with the Chicago statement here, then? No, they're saying that scientific hypotheses about Earth history uh, shouldn't be used to overturn the teaching of Scripture. Right. Right? Evolution did. People, no, but people who, we were talking about the day-age theory, and, and we didn't mention it, but the framework hypotheses, hypothesis, things like that that relate to the first two chapters of Genesis, what, are advocated by people that are staunch advocates of biblical inerrancy, and they would agree with this Chicago statement 100%. They just have a different hermeneutical idea, which we'll get into that. Maybe we talk about hermeneutics later. But so I'm not going to say would, that... I would still push back on that. I would say that, no, they're try, they're, they are separating in their mind inerrancy from... Well, except in this spot, because in this spot, science really... Uh, modern science really explains what the Bible means. Well, and, we'll have to have a separate show probably on, on Genesis... Um, I, I totally agree with the instinct to want to defend biblical truth and the inerrancy. I totally agree with that. So we're on the same page. I'm not so sure that somebody who wants to say that uh, the six days could have been six 1,000-year days or something, well, that they would we, necessarily be in violation. Well, let's, let's pause. Are you making a distinction between the theory of evolution and— I reject evolution 100%. And, and so do these people that would hold okay, to that view. Okay, yes, That's so what I'm I, I do want to clarify that. What we're all saying is that, yeah, even these people that the Troy Salkman, and I have friends that all would also believe in an old earth, but wholeheartedly reject the theory of evolution. Exactly, yeah. No, well, um, to be honest, you don't even have to have ever read the Bible to reject evolution as a separate <laughs> side. Seriously, it doesn't withstand its own weight. It collapses in on itself. People are... Refu Darwinian evolution is basically dead. Most people don't know that. And so it's been replaced over the last 20, 30 years by scientists who know that it's dead with newer versions of evolution theory that are not Darwinian, and, and those fail too. So it does not sustain its own art, but that's a separate argument as well. <laughs> we keep right. going back to Genesis. Um, do we want to talk about the difference between infallibility and inerrancy? Anybody feel equipped to, to, to mm -hmm. split those hairs of what those words mean? I think um, it's very important. There are two different words. Infallible means that what we know now could make the Bible false because they didn't know before, and that would be infallible. So it cannot change. People tend to say, well, that part of the Bible is really for people of that time, not for people of today because we have different understandings. That would be infallible, and that's not true. Inerrancy is that it was. It just had a mistake that it was wrong. and or errant, and inerrancy is that it never did. So not only is the Bible for all pe people at all times, it is also the truth and will never be false, it will never be wrong, and you'll never find a mistake in it. And I, if I understand correctly, I'm, going, I'm really going back on my old training. I haven't studied on this in a while, but I believe infallibi infallibility as important as that understanding is that it's actually uh, lesser than Inerrancy. Inerrancy is a bigger, stronger position to take. That the Bible is without any error at all. It has nothing about whether it's <clears throat> frail or it can fail in some way in circumstances. No, yeah, it, it, it has think, no I, error. I think, in I it. think fallibility next... has to do with uh, right whether it will. Um, yeah, error, error, inerrancy. So it doesn't have. In, there are no errors in it. Infallible means it won't fail. And right. The next several. Which, uh, 
uh, sorry, topics, just to talk finish about that. Any specifically. Oh, so they're going to define, define it for us? Yeah. So I, I was just going to say, so so that means that, right, it, it's infallible, which means that anything future that it says will happen will happen. So er, I, would, I would almost say inerrancy can to some degree have to do with what has happened. Right, and, and, I, I and think it's also correct in all of that. Infallibility also covers that man cannot do something or invent something that could make the Bible fail. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So nothing in the future could happen that could, mm-hmm. that could fail, make the Bible fail. It cannot fail. So for people that are trying hard to mix species and do that, that's, that's sin, and it's not going to make the Bible fail. Or we can't, we can't design mm-hmm. a technology that will make us go to heaven or help us to live forever right. or, you know, that type and, of thing. And, and there's no natural occurrence that could ever happen that would make... Right. Now, to clarify any confusion I brought to the table, because I, I, do, I think I blended 8 and 13 last time because yes. <laughs> my Roman numerals got all messed up. So, just to clarify, for the record, Article 8 said, We affirm that God, in his work of inspiration, utilized the distinctive personalities and literary styles of the writers whom he had chosen and prepared. We deny that God, in causing these writers to use the very words that he chose, overrode their personalities. We actually had a bit of a discussion mm-hmm. about that earlier. And now 13, which I read part of it earlier, but out of context. So, this is Article 13. We affirm the propriety of using inerrancy as a theological term with reference to the complete truthfulness of Scripture. We deny that it is proper to evaluate Scripture according to standards of truth and error that are alien to its usage or purpose. We further deny that inerrancy is negated by biblical phenomena such as a lack of modern technical precision, irregularities of grammar or spelling, observational descriptions of nature, the reporting of falsehoods, the use of uh, hyperbole and round numbers, the topical arrangement of material, variant selections of material in the parallel accounts, or the use of free citations. So, meaning there's some latitude depending on the purposes of the author of how exact they're going to be. So it says there were 12,000 people. There might have been 12,002 people. There could have been 11,997 people, but they were rounding off. And that is okay if that's what's that becomes important because there are different parts of the Bible where the numbers, one might be more specific, might, one might be more rounded and say, ah, see, the Bible doesn't even agree with itself. Well, no, one author was rounding and the other author wasn't. So that's what they're... Or, or maybe there is just an, an uncountable number of people, but all 12 tribes were represented. And it, it's meant as a symbolic <laughs> reference. Right. Yeah. So we do this all the time, right? But people get squeamish about wanting to, to allow this for the Bible. People speak in with hyperbole or round numbers, or uh, uh, we might use what seems to be um, less educated grammar. That doesn't mean it's not making a solid good point, and maybe you're using the less educated grammar on purpose. But no one is right? ever sarcastic, Troy. Like, I might make the point... No? <laughs> <laughs> oh. I guess... Gotta God, get myself... Edu- is, so, in fact, so, God, God so is I just aired. I gotta get myself educated on that, then. <laughs> and God is sarcastic in several spots in the Bible, so that's that's been interesting. <laughs> I think we talked about that a few months ago. So, and like the observational descriptions of nature, I think what they might mean there is a lot of the things that are talked about as natural observations are from the point of view of a human being. So we still do this today. We talk about the sun rising and setting. Well, we know, or we think we know anyway, if, if the science is to be believed, that the sun's not going anywhere, that we're going around it. You know, we're spinning. 
But from our point of view, it looks like the sun is rising and setting. We use that language, and so the Bible authors are using that kind of a language uh, as well, right? Right. All right, so we're going to have to uh, wrap well, that's, this. That, yeah, that's uh, good. I'm sorry. You can say two seconds. If you've got two seconds. No, I'm just repeating what you said. So. Oh, well, you I, appreciate, already said it. I appreciate that, but you weren't going to say it better than me anyway. Exactly. <laughs> This is the Faith of Eight. That's Daniel Razzi, who I'm giving a hard time. Before that was uh, David Forsey's voice. You also heard Imran Razvi today. Check them out online at um, conqueredbylove.org. You can visit my church online, householdoffaithinchrist.com. Of course, the website for the radio station is wfmd.com. Till next week, 167 and a half hours from now, God bless.